Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Welcome Casey to Haston. the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and you're all around hiring guru. And today we're going to go kind of going to go in a little bit different direction and we're really going to talk to those companies out there instead of to our job seekers. Although job seekers, I do think you're going to learn something here today too. So today on the show, I'd like to welcome Lori Nugent, CEO and founder of LMN Legal Consulting LLC and attorney. Yeah, that means she's smart. Lori has 20 plus years of experience counseling to C-suite executives and boards of directors. Lori builds strong legal defenses while responding to cyber crisis situations. Her goal is to help operational teams, senior management, and boards of directors improve their organization's cyber legal defensibility. Say that three times fast. Thanks for joining us today, Lori. Oh, thanks for having me, Casey. I really appreciate it. Okay, so I'm gonna put you on the spot. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> right off the bat. Right out of the gate. So how did we meet? I think we met at Success North Dallas. Ding 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 ding. <laughs> <laughs> I like to always start with that question because I and, and I was just on a podcast just right before this one about networking, the Who You Know show. And I think it's so important because job seekers typically will find their next job because of who they know. Would you agree with that? Oh absolutely. And frankly, that's the way the best information is because when you're talking with people about places you're thinking about or the type of thing you're thinking yes. about doing, you can learn more about what that's actually like when you get the job as opposed to just you know, what it says on the job description because the job description and the actual job are different things. Do you know, I'm so glad you said that because as a recruiter, do you know most of the time I don't even ask for job descriptions for my clients? smart because it's it, you're right useless it's never and even if you send me a job description we still have to have a conversation because I know this isn't what you really want you know so I'm so glad you pointed that out well and one of the things we're seeing a lot in the tech space right now with with hiring mm -hmm. is um, so many companies have turned to virtual recruiting and they they have this laundry list of job requirements that somebody you know gave when a, a an HR person was in the office mm -hmm. and those becomes things that you must have all of. Yes. Put the computer to put somebody in the yes. box. And that's, I think, affecting getting people hired. Absolutely. We talk about the, that artificial intelligence and those applicant tracking systems all the time and how people don't bubble up because mm -hmm. they don't have the right keywords. And sometimes it's not just because of the skill set. It's just because they haven't reformatted their resume for that job, you know, right, and you right. can't do that. So, so okay, let's tell people who you are. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about your career journey and what brought you to do what you do today. And then I have another off-the-wall question. <laughs> Okay, I'm a cybersecurity and privacy lawyer. I've been doing it since, um, well, since this became a thing. So California enacted the first breach notification statute in 2003, and I was there in responding to incidents then. I stopped counting years ago at a thousand incidents, because beyond that, nobody but my mom cares. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, 
I got into cyber because um, I was working at a law firm. And by the way, I picked the law firm out of law school because I was looking for people I wanted to learn from. Oh, good. So my good. Yeah, I didn't take the traditional approach uh, to law school and finding a new job, finding your first job as a lawyer. I really, I really wanted to find people I wanted to learn from, and that worked out really well for me. Um, the people that I that I started work with gave me a good a good ramp to start up and, and good training of, about how to do the job and how to network and how to market and all of those skills that they don't really teach in law school. Yes. So um, I wound up doing cyber because I was working for that team and we were doing a lot of tech related incident problem solving things. Um, really specific that, but yeah, that's what we were doing. And I asked, you know, Lawyers have malpractice insurance. Doctors have malpractice insurance. Don't technologists have that too? And the answer was, uh, no. What are you talking about? Yeah. And I said, well, why not? That was a good question. <laughs> <laughs> and so we talked to an underwriter at Lloyd's who wrote Railroads at the time, and he decided to, to take some of his underwriting capacity um, and put it towards insurance for technologists as professionals. Wow. So that's what I was doing when California enacted the statute that required breach notification. So that's that's how I got into it. All happenstance. That, <laughs> and isn't that how we all get into our careers sometimes? And, and at least you were intentional about where you went. I know like for me, I was not intentional about my career, my first career, and I got stuck in it for 20 years. So, it's easy to do. It is it? so easy. It's so important to be intentional, like you were, about what you want to do. Um, but when you were working, when California came out with that, for and I don't even know what it's called. Um, it's a breach notification statute. It's a it's a law that requires you to notify individuals if you had their data and it got exposed without authorization. Okay, I think I'm thinking of something else because there's another one that makes it really difficult for you to even transmit information to people. Oh, that's the GDPR. You know what I'm talking about. General Data Protection yes, Regulation. Yes, That's the European regulation. And if you, if you think about it, in the US, our view is don't do stupid. Yeah. And if you do stupid, you're gonna pay for it. So, you know, if, if we have a horse in a barn, we're expected to do reasonable things to make sure that horse doesn't damage other people, mm -hmm. doesn't get out of the barn and damage. The EU's approach is, is more paternalistic, frankly. They, they know that horses get out of barns, and so they have a bunch of regulations to keep horses within barns and, and safe. Um, it's just a very different approach to the world. So in the US, we have laws that say, if this happens, you have to let people know or you know you have to keep your data in in a good way a reasonable and prudent mm -hmm. way from a business standpoint the eu doesn't like things that are loose like that that require people to use judgment so the gdpr specifies exactly what you must do and what you must not do and what regular what how you have to keep your data and how you have to make sure that the person or entity to whom you're transmitting data in the eu or from the eu outward um, how they're securing the data. They have to be at least as secure as you are. And so it's very cumbersome. But there is one thing that the EU got right in it. What? You cannot have an AI computer system make decisions without any human intervention. So they wouldn't have the same problem we have in the employment context where people get kicked out and there's no person <gasps> viewing that. So, I mean, I, I do think I, I 
have a lot of familiarity with artificial intelligence and how it works and some of the benefits and some of the risks. And the, one of the best ways to mitigate the risk of AI is to make sure that there's a human review. Mm -hmm. um, because otherwise you're getting what the machine thought you told it to do, which may not be what you told it to do. Well, and it Intended has its own bias. Absolutely, it has the bias of, yep. the, of the data that it saw. Yes. And unlearning that bias is very challenging. <laughs> yeah, so perfect example of that was Amazon. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with that case where they were hiring more or getting more um, resumes of men than women through their AI? Yes, for tech jobs. Yeah. Because if they, if the machine looked at the people that were successful or that had the tech jobs and they were majority male, yes, that's it's, part of the problem. Yes. That's what we're trying to, you know, we want to have a human. diversity, equity, and, you know, Quality and, and yes, so true. So, <laughs> so the AI does what it sees and it learns from what it sees, which is both a benefit and a risk. And so you always have to think on on things technology based. You always have to think both what's the opportunity here and what's the risk that's associated with the opportunity. How do I maximize the opportunity and reduce the risk? That's what I do. <laughs> so, and you, I love the way you explain it because you put it in such layman's terms, like with the horse in the barn. I'm like, okay, we got I get it. I get that. So, <laughs> and that's part of why I think the EU and the US continuously have a hard time coming to agreement on, on the rules because we come at it from a completely different approach. We're like, hey, we're free here. <laughs> right. Don't mess with me. And they're like, wait a minute, we want to have everybody safe. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, a lot of people do not realize how important cybersecurity is for every aspect of their business. Sure. Can you speak a little bit about this and about the impact cybersecurity has on an organization? Oh, absolutely. Um, if you are connected to the internet, you have cybersecurity and privacy exposure. So cybersecurity is if somebody breaks into your technical system and, and gets information. Privacy is the rights of the individuals whose data you hold that got attacked or, or exposed without their authority or your authority. So privacy rules are to protect the people. Cybersecurity regulations are how you have to keep the data secure, what you have to do. And they, they really come together. There's a lot of discussion in the community these days about privacy in one box and cybersecurity in the other. Um, I know this is old school, but I think it's completely artificial. They're two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to do both of them. The the laws in the all of the different states, all 50 states now have privacy regulations, cybersecurity regulations. So the laws require you to do things in a certain way in the US within a broad parameter for most states. But in the EU it's different and you know across the world there are a lot of differences as well. That yeah, okay. So what would be an example of a cybersecurity like Give me a horse in a barn. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, so if you're connected to the internet, you can and will be breached, period. Um, I remember you saying that when I saw you present. Yeah, um, the reason for that is the attack systems that are being used today are really different than what they used to be. And they're not looking, well, many of them are not looking for a particular individual or corporation or even kind of product, maybe. Mm -hmm. But they're looking for a specific vulnerability that's been found. So you know how your phone gets patched all the time? Mm -hmm. You have to upload the, the new update or your computer, the update. A lot of those updates are patching vulnerabilities that have been identified. So if you have one of those vulnerabilities and it doesn't get patched, 
Um, there are some hackers that specialize in, you know, a month after the patch should have been applied, mm -hmm. attacking people using that vulnerability to say, hey, you should have paid attention. I'm doing a public service by making, um, by fixing this. And of course, part of what they're doing um, sometimes is they're using ransomware or they're other way, using other methods to get notoriety from what they're doing. Um, and usually it's at the, the, it causes damage to the entity that's involved and it also causes damage to the individuals whose data was held. Um, and I, I think a real simple example of a cybersecurity problem is if you're an emerging company, a small or medium-sized company, and by the way, a lot of folks think those companies don't get attacked and don't get hacked. That's absolutely 100% wrong. As we talked before, yep. there are some cybersecurity gangs that are really focused entirely on the SME market. So it doesn't matter how tiny you are. If you're connected to the internet, you can and will be breached, period. Um, so if you are a small or medium business and you get attacked by one of these bad guys, um, maybe you have ransomware and the ran they say you know you have to pay dollars x and they've been in your computer so they know how much money you have yeah so it's enough that it's an ouch but you still properly pay it right um and you'll feel it and once you pay it you get on the suckers list and that's sold oh, so you're going to get it again and again and again i didn't and again. know that oh yeah that's a problem um so if you haven't done the right things to protect your data and you get attacked by ransomware not only is your data completely locked down, which mm -hmm. is what the ransomware does, like you see your computer turn off, you can't turn it back on. Yep. It won't work. And it goes to any computer that's connected to yours. And sometimes it'll it'll use email to go from one to the next with phishing attacks built into it. So it's, it's complicated these days. The other thing Why that can't they just do, get a job? <laughs> they have one and they're making a lot of money. <laughs> it's just not a good job. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they they do their attack. Um, they may also exfiltrate your, all of your data and hold your, the data of your customers and contacts at, at ransom as well. Do you really get this information back if you pay them? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. And even if you get it back, you have access to your own data again. But how do you prove or how do you know that nobody kept a copy that they're selling on the black on the black market? <sighs> You can't. So, I mean, I'm scared. These are criminals that you're dealing with. Yeah. You, know? so, you can't expect them to be like me. I'd be like, okay, you paid me for this. I'm going to give it back to you. And I wouldn't keep a copy. I wouldn't even think to. I just don't think like that, you know? Right. Which so, is why you don't have this job. I know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> this is so true. So, have you seen cybersecurity awareness increase in recent years? People are aware of it. Um, a lot of companies do phishing training, mm -hmm. so they'll do um, things that that look like actual attacks that have happened, where you get an email that has an attachment that you shouldn't open. I get those every day. Yes, and um, frankly, I don't think that that kind of training, where you, you you go through an exercise and you got caught, and then you have to go through more training. Um, I don't think that exercise is the best way to train people. I think it's the best way to make people afraid of the IT department or the cybersecurity team um, because they're getting graded on something that they can't control. Huh. And the reality is the phishing exercise, the, the actual phishing attacks have been socially engineered for decades, plural. They know how to do it. What they're doing with these attacks is triggering your lizard brain, the one yep. that responds, fight, flight or freeze and for a certain percentage of people on any given day they will 
click the thing or they will respond. Um, I've even responded. Really? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, and if anybody should know better, it's me. I was at a meeting. That makes me feel not so bad. Yeah, it happens, <laughs> happens to everybody. I was at a meeting with corporate execs in Las Vegas at a client of mine. I got a call from my dad who never called because he knew I was working. I went out and took the call, and he said, you know, um, I just got a call that, that you know, my son, his grandson, was in jail, which is ridiculous because kid's a good kid, <laughs> um, and he wanted to, to have bail money from grandpa. And, you know, dad at the time was 84 and bored, really bored. <laughs> so he, he put these people through a lot of questions for probably an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and he called me to let me know what had happened to make sure that my, my kiddo was aware, right? Um, but I, I immediately said, oh, well, what do we do and how do we pay them? And he's like, Lori. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, when your kid's involved. It's triggering the part of your brain that isn't analytical. Yeah. It's fight, flight, or freeze. And boy, it was my kid, and I was going to protect my kiddo. <laughs> you know? And a lot of moms and dads are that way. So they, they are triggering something that causes you to, frankly, freak out for a moment. And it's just a split second, because yep. that's when you click the thing. Yeah. So because of that, I don't think it's really helpful to, to test people on it. And frankly, um, I can tell you that almost always, the person that is most unable to not click the thing is your best salesperson in the entire company. Why? Because they're the one that's really responsive. They are wired to immediately communicate, communicate, don't let anything sit. Yeah. Because that's how you close deals. That's how you make sales. So they are wired to immediately respond. It's who they are. You're not going to be able to train someone out of being who they are. Right. So that's why, you know, you want to have other systems in place to, to deal with phishing. And it is good to tell everybody about it and show them examples of what, what it is. But the notion that you're ever going to get a company to remain 100% fish free, it's not attainable. Yeah. So I get those emails like, oh, click here. Here's your HR documents, you know, or yes. and we actually had my last company you remember and this isn't really a phishing scam but it kind of involves technology because it's a phone and stuff like that yep. but um one of the uh one one of the other co-workers that i worked with their son got one of those calls go get these credit cards you know and send them and then read me the numbers and all this kind of stuff and he did it and it was like a oh, lot no. of money oh no a lot oh, of money no. And he, I just remember hearing my coworker going, "You did what?" <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, how have these security threats evolved over time? So, I mean, we're talking about people that call you up and say, "I'm sending the IRS to your front door," but how have they evolved? Well, we've seen everything. Well, everything has get, gotten more complicated mm -hmm. and more challenging. Um, at this point, ransomware is something you can buy as a service. Just like you would buy an what does that IT, mean? you can go and you can go to the the correct place yeah. and purchase a ransomware attack. So I could be a bad guy. You could be a bad guy, but you wouldn't have to do the work. You would just pay for somebody else to do the work. Whoa. So you don't even have to know how to program to do a okay. ransomware attack. So you can see why ransomware is up so much in yeah. the last two years. First of all, we have everybody working from home. And your protections at home are different than your protections when you're at work mm -hmm. with the, the IT structure. And nobody there. VPNs anymore. Oh, I don't know about that. Okay. <laughs> 
we'll have a, a lot of people don't. <laughs> well, it's it's part of how your system gets hacked um, because it you know in the early days it was kids learning yeah and they would hack and they'd leave a funny message ha 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 we broke in and you're screen to do something funny and then you'd be able to go back to work that's not what they do now <laughs> you know they they sit in a system for over a year a lot of times and so some of the attacks are um, for example they'll sit in the CEO's email and they'll learn to whom he communicates or she communicates and how she talks to them and what her cadence is and what her grammar is and what style she writes with. So like if I write, if I gave you a letter I wrote to my mom and you had a letter that you wrote to your mom and we showed it to a third person, they'd say those are two different people. Okay. Because our styles are different. Right, right. Same thing happens with coding and with technology. You can kind of get a feel for who does what. But what we're seeing with the current attacks are incredibly sophisticated packages that deploy automatically. So part of what happens, there are things called botnets, and that's where they take over a tiny, tiny bit of lots of different people's computers, not enough that you really know what's happening. Okay. And they'll use that tiny little bit to, to deploy malware, and the malware searches all over the internet and goes to lots of different computers. And when it finds the vulnerability, it phones home to mama, calls the operating the, the operations center, and asks, what do I do now? And the message probably automatically using AI comes back deploy. And that's when it, the, the malware is deployed on the system. So it used to be it was one person or entity attacking one person or entity. That can be complicated if they're really technically good mm -hmm. on both sides. But it's nothing like a nation state running a global botnet that is attacking anything with a particular vulnerability. That's not even one, that's a, a portion of their military service, you know, their service people yeah. um, against all of the computers in the world. <laughs> Or, you know, however they decide to deploy it, they can target it to particular countries because of the way systems are structured. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really I'm serious scared. thing. <laughs> well, it is, it is frankly pretty scary when you get into it, but the other side of it is the opportunities. Yeah. You know, look at all the cool things that we can do now. And, you know, um, I was just reading on Bloomberg in, in December, and they said that 72% of CEOs are worried about losing their jobs in 2022 because of business disruptions in supply chains, labor markets, and digitization. Wow. Yeah, wow. That's a huge number. Huge. It is. It is. It went from 52% in uh, at the end of 2020 to 72% at the end of 2021. That's a crazy number. Yeah. Now, if you think about it, businesses are under more pressure than they've ever been under because there's a, a supply chain problem, so it's hard to get yep. things to the right place at the right time, it takes longer, and there's a labor problem, Yep. so you don't have enough people to do the work, and on top of that, everybody's looking for the newest, coolest tech thing to get an advantage over their competitors. And you don't want to be blockbuster. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> if you're the head of sales, you're you're trying to find the cool disruption that's gonna that work. makes it for your company. Yeah. And the flip side of that is of course 
and it creates risks. So the way to make it less scary is to have the, the arm of the business that's looking for the digital opportunities working collaboratively with the arm of the business that's making it more secure. Gotcha. Because then you get the maximum benefit at the least risk. And part of it is also risk appetite. That's why CEOs and boards are in the middle of the cybersecurity and privacy situation. Because you have to do, you have to move forward quickly, but you also don't want to have huge costs because you've exposed all sorts of things and your brand damaged by ransomware. So it's a very challenging balance and, and I feel for, for boards and CEOs and IT teams and, and frankly everybody working on a job with a computer because it is really scary. Yeah. And we have to work together to, to do what we can to minimize the risk and to quit demonizing people when they happen to be the, the one that was unlucky enough to get hit. Yeah. It happens. What's our plan? So a lot of what I do is I work with C-suite execs to look at digital disruption opportunities and help get those through their systems quickly so that they meet their, we've done things to, to help them meet the risk appetite or the risk tolerance, depending which side of the coin you're looking at, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then we also help with the cybersecurity and privacy component of it and building a structure that's legally defensible. So it's not just, hey, what's the best tech? It's how do we take the best tech and deploy it in a way that works really well for our company and reduces the risk all at the same time. It's really challenging and a whole lot of fun. And that's why you're the one with a law degree. Because <laughs> my head's spinning at the moment. Well, I mean, frankly, it's an interesting and fun and scary challenging time to be a CEO or a C-suite exec because there, there's this world of new opportunities out there yeah. that's really, really exciting. But there's also challenge that comes with that, just like anything else. You know, when they were discovering, uh, when they were going down the, Missis the Mississippi and Missouri River discovering the country, there were risks that yep. they hadn't seen before. You know, they did the things that they could to reduce those and they kept forging ahead. So that's what we're going to be doing. It's just technically complicated. So I think the days when people went through college or went through high school and didn't learn how to use a computer and didn't learn how to protect the things they have on their computer mm. should be over soon. <laughs> we all need to know what to do with it. Well, I have one last question for you around that because, mm. you know, a lot of um, cybersecurity I don't think is really taught in school yet, mm -hmm. right? And so they have classes in colleges and community colleges now, which is awesome. Okay. But most business people that get a, a business degree of some kind don't don't even really touch cyber yeah I didn't touch cyber in college no so but so what so and kind of like my story earlier many many of these young professionals are typically the targets of those phishing emails so what advice would you share with them to help them avoid these cyber attacks identify and avoid them sure Just, now first of all the most likely person to be attacked is a c-suite exec not they are your staff the account most vulnerable no, because if you think about it, who in the company gets exceptions to rules? Mm. It's not the person on the line or the person at the lowest desk. It's the person who has the most seniority is who's too busy to be able to use a VPN, for example. <laughs> Don't be that person because 
it, it isn't good to be the witness that has to explain why they didn't use the rules that apply to everybody else and therefore caused an incident. So that's not Sounds that's like that's happened awesome. before. That's, yeah, it happens all the time. <laughs> it happens all the time. But it, it, it really is everybody's responsibility. We all have to work as a team to do the reasonable things needed to protect data. And I think it's a shame, frankly, that folks are graduating from college with a business degree and nobody has taught them the basics at the time when they're graduating of protecting a computer network, a computer system. I mean, frankly, they should be protecting the computers at the schools. Mm -hmm. um, many of the products that are sold in schools don't do a great job of privacy and cybersecurity, which is part of why we're seeing so many incidents involving schools right now. Um, but it, the basics, like use multi-factor authentication, it's not hard. You know, your gym uses it, apps to get food use it. Yep. For goodness sakes, why can't you use it in your business? That's another one that is hard to understand why you're not doing. Um, and multi-factor authentication is, is a thing that regulators have been really, 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 really frustrated and angry about for a very, very long time. So if I, have a, if I have a client that has an incident and I know that I've got to go to regulators and talk with them about the fact that the organization was not using multi-factor authentication, I'm going in with one hand tied behind my back mm. because they're, those regulators are going to be angry. There's not really a good excuse for not doing it now. So it's something that's a must. And you know, as simple as you have things that matter to you on your Facebook page. If you have Facebook or Insta or you know WhatsApp, whatever it is that you're using, you have things on that page that matter to you. Mm -hmm. If your account gets hacked and you can't get back in it again, you lose those things unless yep. you've made a copy of them. So if nothing else, I, I wish schools were teaching kids and adults to take a copy of those things to you know to to preserve the things that matter to you you know to that point my sister actually about two or three months ago had her account hacked on facebook and it was so bad and so she starts sending a message she's like look i just want my memories back and they blocked her she can't even mm -hmm. see them that way now that has happened quite a lot um i am representing someone right now and we're looking at that um and i'll have more about that later <laughs> Okay, well, we are almost out of time, so I definitely want to get to our VIP questions. <laughs> are you ready? Oh, sure. <laughs> should be a breeze. So if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? I would take my two kids and my daughter's husband, my, my son-in-law. Okay. Because okay. I wouldn't want to be gone from my family for that long. Right? No, no and, promise you're coming back. And that, that team of folks has an interesting set of skills. We'd, we'd be able to survive. I mean, we did real well getting through the pandemic. <laughs> a lot of people have gotten through the pandemic well, so I, I feel like we all have new skills. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> for better or for worse. <laughs> so what is one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? I work very hard to set aside 10 or 15 minutes mm -hmm. to pause. Good. The first thing I do is I, I look at the things on my calendar that are set for the day, and then I think through, is there anything else I want to do? What are my personal goals for today? And I include things like... I need to have good meals. I yeah. need time to prepare and eat good meals. I need time to exercise. I need time to talk with my friends and family. 
I need time to have some fun every day. Yes. Even if it's for five minutes. That's part of how you get balance in life, and it's really important to do those things. But, you know, you only have a certain amount of time to do your work. And I look at, well, what are the no more than three things that I want to accomplish today? I do that too. <laughs> My big three. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's really important because in today's world, there's always more dumped on your lap. You're never yes. going to get a clean desk. You're never going to get clear again. So what are the things that matter and how do you manage those? And how do you also keep track of the things that are slipping aside mm -hmm. to make sure that none of those are actual priorities that you need to get back on your list? I have something to show you after this. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, my final question, and I think this is an important one. If your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? Probably disruption for good. I like it. Because everywhere I've been and everything I've done, pretty much, I've done differently um, from leaving my little town who's, you know, I, I love folks back there. I, I miss a lot of my friends from there, my family from there. But my calling was different and I couldn't do cybersecurity and privacy from a little town before everybody understood that work from home is a thing. Yeah. I've been working from home for years. It's not that hard. <laughs> People are figuring that out. There are challenges, there are pros and cons to it, just yep. like everything else, but it's not an impossible thing. Um, and it's, there are a lot of benefits in terms of work-life balancing. Yes. Because you're never completely balanced, so it's always balancing. Um, I've also done um, things in the punitive damage world, um, helping to change the law and, and how it works there. Um, I helped start cyber as a law thing, um, so I'm actually a founder. <laughs> and now I have my own firm, and true to form, I'm doing things really different there too. That's what, so. I, that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> it's, it's really fun. Um, and, I, and I don't intend to be disruptive. I'm just doing me. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing that I love most out of having, about having my own firm is I bring 100% of myself there every day. And it's awesome. <laughs> I you love know? it. It's so awesome when you get to live into your passion, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. I love absolutely. it. Absolutely. I love it. How do people find you? Um, my um, webpage is appetite number four opportunity. So appetite for opportunity.com. And my phone is 217 um, 371 5, uh, 217-473-3151. Easy for me to say. <laughs> You're a brave one just throwing the phone number out there. Yeah. <laughs> what about LinkedIn? Are you pretty active oh, on absolutely. LinkedIn? Absolutely, I'm on LinkedIn. Okay, absolutely. Okay, and we'll have all those show notes. Um, all right, I we'll mean, have all that information in the show I've notes. I've got the phone number because when folks have an incident of some kind and they need help, I get the call. Yeah. I got a call. Actually, I was um, taking my kid up to school in Iowa this last weekend, and I got a call from somebody in Success North Dallas, actually, whose uh, company had an incident, and I was able to take it within a very short time from when the call came in, and, and uh, that's part of what I do. Love that. And I love, you know, big shout out to Bill Wallace at oh, Success yes, North absolutely. Dallas for, you know, just net weaving, as he says, all absolutely. these wonderful people together. I wouldn't have met you otherwise. Well, I may have. We never know what the universe holds in store for us. But, but this made it easier. This made it so much easier. So, so, Lori, I just have one last thing to say to you. You are a VIP. 
Aw, thank you so much. <laughs> You're awesome. <laughs> and that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.